Oh, Jesse Eisenberg's in this. Who? <laughs> I'm joking. I saw the movie. Who? Jesse Eisenberg? I don't know who that is. Oh, Emojin Poots. Oh, I know Emojin Poots. I just don't know who Jesse Eisenberg is. Emojin Poops. Is that, why does that have don't five points? Don't make in it? fun of her name. What? I didn't How mean to. He's, he's not going to use this. That's pretty lame, Bill. Yeah, it is actually extremely, and it's a bad joke. I don't, it's, she's a good actress, and I really shouldn't have said it. How would and you feel if wanna... someone called you, called you, called you Bill Jarpiss? I'd say that was clever. What if your and name was William Poots? It's better than my name in high school. That was embarrassing. What was that? Big Dick Bill. <laughs> It was just so embarrassing. I had to get a doctor's note for gym class so that I didn't have to wear the gym shorts because it kept like coming out of the bottom. And like, so I would like, I had to get a doctor's note to wear sweatpants. And everybody was like, why is this freak wearing sweatpants? And they're like, I heard he's got a big, stupid dick. And I was like, oh, come on, guys. He's called me BDB. And I was like, guys, stop. Thing looks like a, it's... Like a damn bike tire inner tube. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so embarrassing. I know. Hey. So embarrassing. It was just and I'm like, you know, it's a physical disability, really. It is. And like everybody just makes fun of it. And I just feel like that's one of those things that's gonna come up soon. It's just like the disenfranchised <sighs> I think it already came up. You you couldn't just get like extra long shorts like capris or something? You had to just go full sweatpants. I don't, I don't want to explain the logistical problems. <laughs> All right. <sighs> okay. Well, I believe you. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's get started with sci-fi cross sections with J Jason, <laughs> Ben, and Big Dick <laughs> Bill. <laughs> no! <laughs> big, Please big, stop! Big Dick Billiam. I'm All having right, dramatic guys. flashbacks. Sci-Fi Cross Sections is recorded in front of a live studio audience. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Ben Young, filling in for your sci-fi host, Colin Brandon. And with me tonight is... Jason. I'm Bill Jarvis. And tonight we are not talking about Spy Kids. I am so sorry to everyone we've teased. Um... <sighs> I think I think Spy Kids is overruled. I don't think I can put that on the schedule. Uh, it's instead, like moving. It's like moving two thousand one: A Space Odyssey, dude. You can't do that. I know. I've, I'm trying so hard, but I, I don't think Colin will allow it. Though he didn't show up for this one either, so I guess it's not that bad if we if we miss Colin. Uh, He's just gonna keep kicking the can down the road and be like, "No, yeah, we'll do Spy Kids uh, next week." And then next week comes, <laughs> "Hey, sorry guys, I can't make it. <laughs> we'll do it next uh, week." <laughs> No, you're talking about uh, Vivar Vivarium. Vivarium? Vivarium? I think it's Vivarium. Aquarium? Yeah. Vivarium? Vivarium. Yeah. We're not British. Uh, we're talking about Vivarium. Uh, we were supposed to talk about it three or four weeks ago, and uh, something happened. Uh, that's right. I was the only one who could record. And uh, as much as I know you all have me as your favorite caster, uh, I couldn't do it alone. So... I had a pants fitting I had to be at. I was getting fitted for pants, so I couldn't make it. That's understandable. Yeah. Pants are important. I have to we travel to... for it. So you have it's... to travel for pants? Yeah. Um, yeah. A very, well, that very, makes any... a very small legs. So um... I was going to say that makes sense. I don't think you guys have any pants down there in the south. No, we don't. I have to have them yeah. custom made. I have to go get the denim myself. I have to take the cotton, put it in the long, you know, sh strips of denim, and then, you know, got to dye it blue, and it's a whole process, so I just prefer to travel to have them made. 
So yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yep. It's like a old, old wild west town. I, for sure. I think the next time I've scheduled it is actually whenever we're rescheduling spy kids. Um, I'm going to be out of town. <laughs> there they have it, folks. My, po- <laughs> my pants, my pants fitting. Sorry. I couldn't. Uh, I just <laughs> imagine an old 1800 Western tailor. Oh, you're watching spy kids for your podcast. eh? That's the only oh, time I ever so get come back for small pants. When uh, they're, they're, they're watching like, spy kids on their podcast. That's <laughs> <laughs> on their podcast let me see that in scene uh, just another day a Star Trek podcast came in Come because here, they Sonny. were covering spy kids there's always one um, <laughs> uh, so I don't think spy kids ever. <laughs> I wish that was real now just like yeah. that's the last shot before you get to I-65 is just the old the old uh, pants <laughs> pantaloon store <laughs> Yes. Yep. I wish, you know, bring it back. You know, people just bring it back. Well, I've been looking for a new venture, so maybe maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll go into the pants uh, the pants business. I've been going there enough now. I feel like I probably a good idea of how it's done. Anyway, you know? it's all good. Uh, Vivarium. <laughs> Sorry. Directed by Lorcan Finnegan. Uh, Vivarium was written by Garrett Shanley uh, with a story by Garrett Shanley and Lorcan Finnegan. A little collab there. Um... It stars Imogen Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, cinematography by McGregor. Uh, Wait, you and McGregor? This is an Irish? Nope, just McGregor. Yeah, it's an Irish oh. film. Yep. I think it's uh, Colin McGregor. Oh, okay. No, he is uh, Miguel Lopez Jimenez de Olaso, known professionally as McGregor. Okay, all right. Uh, this is an Irish film it was created in collaboration with Irish, Ireland, Denmark and Belgium, very very interesting Uh, no budget for y'all but I have a box office here Um, this movie was released uh, in Ireland March 27th of 2020 so right when shit was hitting the fan Uh, it did premiere at Cannes as well Um, Box office being $427,399. So, not wonderful, mm. but uh, it's the product of when yeah, it came out. And, and, so, and how many do? theaters does it say? No. Um, you know, no. I release... Uh, it's released in the United States, UK, and Ireland with a limited theatrical release and video on demand release the same okay. day. Yeah, so gotcha. I limited, figured. Limited is usually like around a thousand. Mm, I figured, yeah. So, Ben, why don't you uh, go ahead and tell us what this movie's about? Getting weird. Sure thing, Ben. When a young couple searching for their starter home are touring a strange new housing development, they become trapped in the neighborhood and forced to raise an alien-like child to adulthood. It's Vivarium. It's Vivarium. I'm not going to do the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, even though I guess I just did. Never mind. You did it. Ladies I was and trying gentlemen, to think of some sort of like trying to make point, sacks but... or something like that. We got him. Because <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, that's what they're doing. They're just chasing each other in a circle. Like, nah, 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 nah. Oh, God. Yep. So, this movie uh, was added by me on the schedule as I was filling things out and just kind of filling out our summer schedule. I got to get to work on our fall schedule here. Um, but I was filling out the summer schedule and, and just kind of. Actually, I think I put this on the schedule back in spring because this was on a list of 2020 sci-fi movies you missed. And uh, so I was like, oh, well, we missed it. I've learned. It's true. And yeah. so uh, I, we should put it. Uh, Sputnik was on that list. Sputnik was a good film. Uh, Bacharau is on that list as well. We'll cover that next week. Um, 
And this was on the list. Uh, we also covered some of them. Uh, but yeah, this was on the list here. Uh, and I believe when I read it first, they called it a comedy thriller. <laughs> and I'm curious, what? yeah. What? I'm, I'm a little curious as to uh, who saw the comedy here? Who, who was able to laugh along in this, in this, this movie? That's not funny at all. <laughs> um, no one was laughing. I laughed a couple times. I had a couple of laughs here and there. I feel like they should make the trailer more humorous. Yeah, I think they should make it like a comedy trailer. You should work on that. Yeah, like, a, like a family comedy. If uh, you really enjoy like screeching children or, and that really makes <laughs> you laugh, then totally. yeah, totally a comedy. I, for one, don't. I hate that shit. So <laughs> for me, it was more it was, it was a horror film. <laughs> it was horrible. I actually I think I told Ben this the other day is that like uh, Lucas, my son, was like having a horrible time. Like he had a terrible cold. So he was just feeling like crap. He just needed Tylenol all the time. And then like with the Tylenol wore, wore off, he was just feeling like crap. And he literally did what the kid did. He just stand, stood there and ah! I'm not going to really yell. But oh, I yeah, thought it like so. I thought you yelled so loud it cut out just now. Yeah, me yeah, too. You know what? I'll, I'll here. I'll do that. <laughs> um, yeah. So. For those who are listening, uh, uh, Bill is committing a visual gag. Yeah, Miller, please add in a Wilhelm scream right there, if you could. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Tom is a guy that's down on his luck, and he meets his dream girl, Gemma. Um. That's all true. Um, though I don't know if you would call Tom down on his luck. Uh, I think I think really kind of the saddest thing about this movie is how happy and like satisfied they really are. Mm-hmm. Like going into this, these aren't these aren't people looking for something deep here. They're looking yeah. for a house. They're looking for a place to live, and they get wrapped up into this. And that's really kind of the saddest thing of it all. Is like they didn't need any of this like this wasn't like a need for these characters the characters needed each other that's all they needed and they had each other like they were these were fulfilled this is not a character development like about characters like finding something along the way this is about characters losing everything along the way uh losing themselves losing each other uh losing it's so much loss in in such a short amount of time that ends with this it just a baffling, uh, horrifying, Suspiria-like ending. It's just hard to watch in every way. Yeah, I uh, I thought the the scene that I really enjoyed um, early on in the film because you kind of knew uh, that you know something bad obviously was going to happen. I mean, just from reading the you know the the brief blurb on. Amazon or whatever streaming service you rented it off of. I rented it off of Amazon. So like whatever, you know, you read that, you kind of know like what you're in for. I guess they're going to get stuck somehow. But there's that one scene where they go to the office initially and like Jesse Eisenberg's character is like, no, no, like I don't, you know, no, we're good, you know. (laughs) And then they get roped into going, oh, just a look, you know, just, just, you know. And that's to me the most tragic scene in the whole movie because they were so close to avoiding it. And it's funny because I think it's very relatable too. I know my, you know, wife and I just kind of went through that process where we, you know, it was the same type of thing. Like the real estate agent like took us to the model home and we're walking through and they're, oh yeah, well this and this and oh, you're going to have kids and you know this, look at all this space and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I've had many a time where I've like rolled my eyes because I'm like, no, I want to, I really want to just go back home and watch YouTube videos until three in the morning. I don't really want to like go do anything. I don't really want to do this. I certainly don't want to do this. And then, you know, it's like the excitement of the moment, I think, kind of takes over. And then either Jess, my wife or myself uh, have been like, no, come on, let's do it. Let's just go. It only take 20 minutes. And then we do it. And it's like, you know, whatever. I mean, we've never been trapped in a giant alien, uh, you know, maze experiment thing. So, I mean, like it is what it is, but I thought it was very relatable uh, early on in the film. And that scene just now, as I've kind of gone back and thought more about the movie, like it it was, they had the chance they were right there. And Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Bummer, man. Yeah, it's a, it was it was the uh, it was the turnaround sign, you know, before you enter town, like mm-hmm. we said with I think a previous movie. Um, yeah, it's a rule rule in any kind of like horror film. You always need cabinet. What? Why have we not done Cabin yeah. in the Woods? That's going well, on. That's very. Sand- I think. Uh, I think it's because you all know it's very fantasy. There's a lot of fantasy elements to that. Uh, honestly. All right. Sorry. Because uh, Cabin in the Woods covers the turnaround mm. sign, but uh, that's we'll more talk of about a horror later. kind of thing. I don't know if sci-fi can. I, be- I thought anyway. We, we talked about doing it before because I know that's come up because that's an absolute favorite of mine. Yeah, I love sure. that movie to death. So, but we'll chat about that. But yeah, I, I think Kids too, 3D. like. <laughs> the suddenness of it. I didn't expect them to just like show up to this model home and then be like, all right, you're trapped here now. It's over. Like, and I don't think they, they, you know, they expect that either. And I think like, really, I have a lot to say to this. I don't think anything that Bill's going to particularly like throughout this. Um, but I think there's a lot to say in the fact of how quickly things start to move the moment they're trapped in this place. And uh, I've spoken a lot in my life about the trap of domestication, like how people kind of just give up on, on what they want and, and, and follow that path. And that seems like a lot of what this movie is criticizing, right? Like that's a lot of this, what this movie is, is really slamming throughout this whole thing is like, you know, you buy a house and that's, and then from there, everything is going to just tumble. Everything is going to move so fast for you. And you're not going to be able to even realize what's happening until it's already happened. Yeah. I think it's, for me, you know, to sum up everything you just said in one word, it's, it's expectation. That's really what the, the film, to me, kind of, uh, like the whole thesis, you could boil it down to everything that kind of happens, I guess, to the main characters after they're trapped it it kind of mirrors that expectation of like a normal and I know you can't see well you guys can see me but the listener can't see me I'm finger quoting right now a normal kind of existence or a normal um uh like that normal linear life um you know you get a house you get married or cohabitate or whatever you do um have a family raise that family save up, go on vacation to the Gulf uh, once a year, if you can, you know, spin it. And that's just kind of that expectation, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, I kind of grappled with with that meaning and kind of the, the criticism, um, just because so much of the, the film, I feel like, is kind of um, not obfuscated, but just it's not it, it's not transparent, and that's by design. So I think it's kind of hard to really say, what they're saying or what they aren't saying, but but that definitely was a huge element in this movie, and I totally agree with you, Ben. I think that's that's really kind of the the meat of what they're trying to get at. I also think that they're getting at that there's a secret society of bird people living underneath the ground. <laughs> that is definitely what they're getting at, and that's probably true. That's I think that's probably I think that's truer that's, than anything else. That's more likely than what whatever you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that's a that's a good segue, Bill, into talking about kind of the the opening and the themes uh, of the uh, I forget what the bird was. Was that a a mockingbird? Was it uh, the the so I'm not sure if it was a mockingbird, but the bird a cuckoo. It cuckoo. was a, it was a cuckoo. Yes, yes, a cuckoo. That's it. And the, their parasitic life cycle of how a cuckoo's mother uh, places it within another bird's nest and then forces that bird to raise the cuckoo mm. uh until the cuckoo as the cuckoo kills all of the birds birdlings and then uh uh eventually eats the mother i believe and and that is the we are we are greeted with that opening in the film and then of course granted plenty of things throughout it uh lend back to the symbolism including the the, the big billowing um throat sack uh that's similar to what a cuckoo has um and of course the way it screams the way it uh there's just a lot of cool cuckoo symbolism uh throughout this i think i mean also the the sound there he said that one of the worst sounds is the sound of the magpie uh 
yeah so magpies are often victims of other more ruthless species yeah so magpies are victimized but also the sound that that kid make made is just the worst thing in the world and it really is when you live with that sort of thing i.e children um <laughs> The sound of those screams are deafening, and you will do anything to make it stop, including stuffing cereal in front of them and <laughs> letting placing them into a car. But no, 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 they don't need this coming up in court. But um, <laughs> but it's uh no, but it's it's one of those things where it's just like you you never you never really realize how horrifying some aspects of domesticated life are until you're living it and you're a prisoner of it. And I, I can, I think, I think most people can say that, you know, it might be a bad perspective, but there are times I think every single, you know, couple with the kid has where they just are just like, I'm fucking trapped. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's like, you feel like, you feel like, you feel like a rat on a ship that's sinking. You know, you're just like, ah, like you just got to get out. But, you know, there's no escape. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's something to be said in that. Like, and first of all, I do want to say to everyone, Bill is a wonderful father. Thank and you. And a great person. So, Thank you. You know. This is, if you want to sit out there and for those who aren't parents and be like, oh, wow, I don't know, like, fuck off. Because uh, I, I know people who are like that, where you're like, well, you don't love your, like, shut up. Like, I, I've I've watched enough TV to be like, yes, I hear what you're saying, Bill. I, I don't understand, but I get what you're saying. There's, there are times, there are times, and I think every single parent can attest to that, that there are times when, especially in the newborn phase, where you just got to, the kid's screaming. You just got to set yep. him in his crib, make sure he's safe and walk away for a minute or else you'll yeah. lose your mind. <laughs> and so it's like, so it's like it kind of like exhibited that sort of idea is that like, there's no escape. You have to do this and you're trapped in it or in order to be released, which we found out is not exactly the same meaning that we thought it would be. Yes. Um, and I really, I think that really gets nailed home when, uh, with Gemma and how she treats the boy is that she will get motherly with him, but it's really more in the form of like a Stockholm syndrome mm -hmm. type of motherly. Like she feels an obligation to him because they're in this close proximity together. And then she's like, something will snap her out of it. And she'll always say, you know, I'm not your mother. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I always thought it was so, I, there were parts of it where I thought it was so interesting because from another perspective, this is a child with parents who hate it. Yeah. You know, like from another perspective, this is a child growing up in, abuse, in an abusive home. Yeah. And there's this funny little dichotomy going on throughout it where it's like, you know, you feel awful for them. And then you, you see Jesse Eisenberg pick the boy up and slam his head against the curb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're like, well, it's a, a comedy, second. Ben. It's just. It's, it's a, a comedy. Yeah, it's, a, it's a thriller comedy. When, uh, you have to remember. When they uh, put him in those uh, Ziploc body bags and threw him in that giant <laughs> hole Jesse Eisenberg had been digging for the whole movie. Man, it was a laugh riot at my house. Let me tell you. slapper. <laughs> well, I... I <laughs> um, I don't want to sound like I'm a bad parent because I'm not. I love my children and I uh, and I live for them. But at the same time, there are elements of Stockholm syndrome in there. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I thought it was really interesting. Um, and this is just my read on it. So if I miss something or you guys had a different interpretation, please let me know. But to Ben's point earlier, I mean, it almost seems like this couple. They're, yeah, they're, they're like ready to take the next step. Like they're, you know, looking for a house and whatever, but like they are happy. They're kind of happy with their dynamic and happy with their lives and whatever. And it almost seems to me like maybe they're, they're not really, I don't know. They're kind of on the fence as to whether or not they're going to start a family or have kids or whatever. You know, it's, it's not necessarily that they're all gung ho on it. And I think it's almost interesting that being forced into this, kind of circumstance really I think they come to see like you know maybe they weren't 
cut out for it, or maybe that isn't what they really wanted or whatever, you know? Um, so I thought that was just kind of uh, interesting from, from that perspective, because to Bill's point, I think it's something you have to really want. And, and I think that, uh, going back to what I said previous with expectation, it's kind of that weight of expectation. Are you starting a family? Are you on this kind of train ride or, or, you know, a theme park ride, you know, I think of like Disney world ride, right. Where you're, you're in it, the doors close and you're on this track and you can't get off. Are you doing that because that's what you want or your, you and your partner want, or are you doing that because that's kind of that expectation that you've placed on yourself, either from family, parents, society, whatever. Uh, so, I mean, that's kind of how I read it is it was almost like this forced realization that they kind of came to over the course of the, the runtime of the movie that, you know, maybe if things had been different, you know, maybe they really didn't want that. Obviously, it kind of ended them in more ways than one. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I, 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 it was, it was. I feel like there aren't a ton of. I mean, the the creatures themselves are off. Everything that they've created is just a little bit not correct, right? Like. <sighs> And these are creatures that, from my, from what I understand, have pretty much been parasitic creatures that have lived among parallel to human beings. Did everybody get that interpretation? Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like have the same stake in the world that human beings have, but they have a parasitic life cycle. So like they are part of nature and they are part of humanity but they are just a little bit off and horrifying. So like uh, there's there's all these there's all these things like the the color of the houses is just a little bit ugly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the sound of his voice is just a little bit too deep. Uh you know the um the look in their eyes is a little off. The size of their thyroid glands are a little bit too large. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. They just, um, but no, I, I feel like, and I feel like that's one of the things that I saw in this is that like, if we specifically talk about these creatures is just that they like, don't really have a place among humans while at the same time fitting perfectly with humans. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but yeah. No, absolutely. It's that that's that's a great point. Is like this is a misinterpreted understanding of that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I think is the thing. Like I I, I think there's a there because there are plenty of like if you are a person who's like I want a house and I want a family and this is these are the things I want that'll make me happy. I disagree with you. I think you should also have something greater than that. You can have those things, but you should have more as well. But beside the point, if that makes you happy, then that makes you happy. Uh, like Jason said, compared with what you said as well, like it's the forced into it. It's going into it because you feel like you're supposed to, um, where you don't have a choice really. That's the kind of thing where that this really criticizes. It's the people who think that this is this is just what they're supposed to do, like. So many of our of our parents or just elders in this this of our generation are like, you know, well, you ask everyone. They ask every every woman ever, the, you know, when are you going to have kids? Yeah. When are you going to have kids? Yeah. That's the thing you're supposed to do next. When are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. When are you going to have kids? We have friends who say it all the time and how tired of it they are, you know, and that's like. This is the expectation you need to join this. Mm-hmm. When when really when you, when that happens for you, all that's left at the end of the day is to to be placed into a body bag <laughs> damn <laughs> and thrown into the thrown into the play-doh hole <laughs> thrown into the play-doh hole I, uh, well yeah. I, don't even get me started on the hole the hole is the hole the hole is everything the hole ties this all together please expand upon that it's just the, the father digging his own grave the father the father will, is is he abusive? Yes, he is abusive to the child in this case. But he is also this is I I believe the whole is a symbolism of like the the back breaking working to support the family situation, and he's digging his own grave to the point where he just he dies. Uh, he doesn't die in the hole, but he may as well have died in the hole. Uh, 
you know, he died. This he literally dug his own grave with this hole, and I think that's like you know Lorcan getting at the idea of working to live, working to support, you know, or or living living to work rather. Sorry, uh, living to support and, and having nothing else. Like that is that is his duty his responsibility he needs to support and he can't do anything else he needs to stay here for this family and he can't do anything else and that hole is him constantly every day going out to it and digging and digging and digging he comes back in for dinner and he goes back out in the morning he digs the hole again he comes back in for dinner that is literally a nine to five work cycle greater than that he's working 12 hours a day mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah then i mean that's you got it ben <laughs> i was like that's it that's it. And it's like, that's the whole thing is just kind of like one huge metaphor for life being stuck in a loop, doing the same things day in, day out and working yourself to death. And then you wind up in a body bag. <laughs> hey guys, how you guys doing today? <laughs> Are you okay? Over I'm there, not okay. <laughs> <laughs> please, uh, please Miller put in a laugh track after, uh, what Bill just said <laughs> after body bag. Well, it's a comedy. Yeah, I mean, it's a comedy. We, 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 we keep are, forgetting yeah. that it, it's a comedy. Yeah, I forget. Um, I expect laugh tracks after every like heavy, serious <laughs> thing we've said throughout this episode. Please, <laughs> yeah, canned laughter everywhere in here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Especially when we talk about how ho- hopeless and depressing life is. Just laugh track. Well, I wanted to ask you guys too, uh, just for your interpretations of um, that whole scene at the end where. Um, uh, is it Im- Imogen? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the act- actress. Yeah. Okay, I just I want to make sure I, I pronounce it right. But when she's chasing um, the 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 boy or whatever through the different kind of like colored worlds, and that's kind of like this psychedelic trippy sort of representation of something. I don't know. I was kind of grappling with it. I was curious what you guys thought of that and what so you thought it represented. Those and- choices that they made are very interesting. I actually, um, what is his name? Loken. I forget what his name is. Lorcan, Lorcan. When when Lor- Lorcan, oh, um, I read some stuff written by Lorcan about the movie, and he was talking about how, like, in that scene, basically what you're supposed to see is that there are parallel, basically parallel worlds living in the same space. So like they're yeah. in the home living their life, but then there's million other people living in that same home in a different way. And the reason that they use the trippy colors, he said, mainly as a device so people could keep track of the scene. He said that he used the lights because you could remember that green was with green, red was with red, blue with this blue, because he used 50 different cuts within like uh, 60 seconds. So like, you know, it was insane. So, yeah, that, that's that's the cinematograph- cinematography of it. Um, I thought it was really cool to see that there was this expansive, it's not just a one-off scenario where these people got trapped in a one trap. This happens to everybody as they come through that place. And the creepy guy with the weird haircut says, yes, welcome. Let us go look at a house. Like it's, fuck. Yeah. Well, that's the point, right? Like, is that like, that's really what nails the theme home is that it's not, just this one random incident mm-hmm. it's not just this couple it happens to so many Systemic. people and she just kind of stumbles into this world where she's experiencing them all and then there's this child as she's running away from her just like you know yeah. <laughs> just this awful creature as she chases after him seeing these these the same thing again and again it's yeah it's horrifying yeah well I, okay so, sorry go ahead. no go ahead bill no, if you're sticking on this scene, go ahead, continue, please. I'm going, I'm going off the rails. No, of what I'm yeah, I'm not going to necessarily say I'm going off the rails, but I was going to pose a different question. So go ahead, off the rails by all means. <laughs> no, at the beginning, I was just speaking of like camera work and cinematography. There's this scene where, and I just watched the beginning of the movie again, like the first ten minutes when they're driving and following the guy into the neighborhood. Um, they're driving, and you see this dreary Irish sky british sky and then you see as they turn the camera switches to the puffy clouds and it's seamless within the same scene you got to look at it like it's the first like five to ten minutes and it's such a cool thing it just basically means 
you're now in the parallel universe. You're now in a different world. It's like they warped to a different world and didn't realize it. It's very cool. It's very cool little touch that I noticed there. But go back to what you were saying, Jason. No, yeah, that's that's cool. I'll have to rewatch it again because like I, said, I just watched it the, the one time, uh, like what three three or four months ago, whenever we were originally going to do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, like I, I guess my question is then, and uh, I'm going to try to posit this in a way that I guess makes sense, or or I'll try to frame it as a question because I'm kind of grappling with it as we're talking about it. Um, how do you beat Vivarium then? I, I guess what, what I mean by that is. So our characters at the beginning of the film kind of are, are roped in and it's kind of something they, they do like on a whim, right? They're, they're looking houses. They're like, yeah, you know, yeah, we want to get a house, whatever. And they go in and, you know, they're kind of talked into or roped into going to the, the vivarium and going to this, um, you know, construct that they're ultimately trapped in, which ultimately, you know, takes their, their relationship and their lives. Right. But, you know, I'm, I'm trying to like, like grapple with the the director and writer's meaning for like how you break that loop or break that cycle. Like they they had dreams. And if the house was a dream, I mean, I, I'm kind of the same way, like currently, like I, my wife and I aren't planning on having kids. Um, and I the house for me that we currently live in was a dream. So it's like I still have those goals or had that ambition. So like, is it wrong to have those things? Or, or I don't know. I'm like I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm real time grappling here with, um, you know what? How you beat it? How do you beat Vivarium? Well, I've 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 always been very outspoken about this because I think people who live only for this will ultimately find themselves unhappy. Um, <laughs> one way or another. I was raised by two people like that uh, who lived for family making and found in their 40s that they weren't happy. And that's just how it always is. Uh, you need to have something else. You need to have an ambition. You need to have hopes. There's nothing wrong with wanting a family at all. But I've always said having a family isn't a goal. You know, that's personally my my thing when people are like well my goal is to start a family uh get married have kids it's like well those aren't goals those don't speak to what you can do for the world and i think that's really what it comes down to whether you're an artist whether you're uh in service you know one way or another whatever is your passion i don't think you know you could be passionate about having a family but having a family isn't a passion if that makes sense yeah Right. Yeah. No, I, um, I understand where you're coming. And Bill from. can spoke. Bill wants to speak, and this is his domain, so I will. Let him speak. <laughs> no, it's okay. I uh, no, it's very interesting how you're saying that because I feel like one of the problems, and I believe it's with the previous generation. This has to do with a lot of what I'm going through with my personal life right now. I won't get into it, but there's a lot of problems that come about because people think that there is no alternative once they get into the situation. You know what I mean? Like, they think that, you know, the classic family of two parents living, you know, being with one another another for 60 years and having a huge family or whatever. I mean, that just, it, for some people, it just doesn't work. And so it's like one of those things that, like, you don't necessarily have to, things change. People change. You know, situations change. And so, you know, uh, kids are permanent and kids are part of your life no matter what. Um, and when it doesn't work out between the parents, everyone thinks it's a huge tragedy. Whereas a lot of people have found, and once you go through it, I know a couple of friends who have been through this, your life in, improves drastically. The life of your kids improve drastically if you do it right. And so it's like the, to think that, and that's what this world does is that it tries to force them into doing one specific way of doing everything by either the kids screaming or by, you know, they're, them being trapped in the same ge geographical area or um, them having the only certain foods they can eat. They're all being set into this template that they think they should have in order to do things right. And I think breaking it is to find an alternative that looks weird on the outside. 
you know, sometimes things look weird on the outside, but they're actually better. And so it's like, I feel like this is one of those things where everything was cookie cutter and cookie cutter doesn't work for everybody. And so in this, there's a trap in that, in the cookie cutter. And so that is a trap that makes, it's supposed to make everybody successful, but at the same time, it makes absolutely nobody successful. I guess I mean to say when it comes to family. And so it's like, I don't know. So, you know, in my personal life, you know, um, you know, I have my kids and I, you know, and I, I take care of them and I love them and I have specific times for them, but I also have my own things that I do as well. And, you know, I, we, you know, we work with the kids and we work with our teachers and everything like that. So everything has been, everything has been, and it's funny. Sorry, I'll just get, I'll just, we separated, my, my, um, Emily and I separated and we said that our relationship drastically improved after we moved away from each other. It drastically improved. Like we communicate, we're better with each other, we're better with the kids. So don't just do the cookie cutter, like vivarium. Don't just do that cookie cutter because you'll get trapped in it. And you think that you're trapped when it's only a trapping of your making. So like, like Ben was saying, like about, you know, getting into your forties and realizing none of this was making me happy. I was just doing what I was supposed to be doing instead of realizing I'm unhappy. I'm going to try something else. So and yeah. now they each have rooms for their SpaghettiOs. That's good. Yeah. We each have our own SpaghettiOs. Well, no, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad like that was great, Bill. Thanks for that. I think that like, that kind of made me think about like the meaning of the word, you know, like a, a vivarium um, being kind of this enclosure. Right. And it's it's very artificial. And you think about if we want to take like the bird uh, analogy even further, like what birds are, are meant to be free. They're, they're not meant to be in a cage. They're not meant to be corralled. They're meant to be flying and, and free and, and do their own thing and do their own thing in their own way. And I think that kind of comes right down to what, what you said, Bill, at least my interpretation of it, that there's there's a lot of room for, I think, that kind of progressive notion um, of what a family is and how a family operates and what it can be. And it doesn't necessarily have to be this kind of uh, uh, formulaic or like forced thing. It doesn't have to be the template, you know, um, and I think, yeah, interesting. It's it's cool because I'll be honest with you. I know we're not doing good sci-fi, bad sci-fi yet, but this is one of those movies where I'll be honest. I didn't like it when we first watched it, but I, I wow. uh, I'm trying to think what the last example of that would have been for myself. It probably would have been uh, underwater, where it was kind of like you know I watched it and I, I think I got hung up on the kid and just how obnoxious the kid was in this movie. <laughs> but at, when you actually look, I think at the symbolism of it. And kind of what is being used to as stand-ins for kind of what the overall thesis is. I definitely have a, a more positive uh, kind of opinion of it now after kind of thinking on it for a few weeks and talking to you guys about it. I uh, think that's that's all really good. That's really good. Do we have uh, anything else we want to talk about in this? Or could we go to good sci-fi, bad sci-fi? I think we covered this very well, very quickly, very eloquently, but I, I think I got everything I wanted to say and you guys covered anything I didn't say, so, that I wanted to. All right, then with that, we'll move on to good sci-fi, bad sci-fi, kicking it over first and foremost to JC Boy. JC Boy, what do you got? <laughs> Well, I just did probably most of the heavy lifting there in the last little monologue. So, yeah, um, if you if we had done this film when we planned on doing it about three weeks ago, I would have said uh, decent sci-fi um, as far as an exploration of a theme or kind of sci-fi in service of a theme uh, and kind of middling movie to bad movie. I, I didn't really care for certain elements of it. I feel like the kid being such a big part of it uh, I didn't really buy the kid's performance, truthfully. Uh, however, I think a lot of that now can kind of be overlooked by viewing him as a symbol for kind of what the film was trying to say. So my opinion of it is more positive tonight, uh, three weeks removed. Uh, I would say, you know, solid sci-fi and, and solid movie in the end. 
Great. Great. Thank you. Um, Mr. William Jarpus. What do you got? Well, this movie was torture, but I think that was um, intentional in a lot of ways. I feel like that's sort of like the tension and the thriller part of it is that like there's this aspect of life that's tense and not fun and you wish you could just get it over with and be done with it but you can't you have to get through it and and so you know there's a lot of parts of life that are like that and um then we just kind of accept it so i feel like there's it's a very intentionally uncomfortable movie and i feel like that's a lot of you know horror movies are like that um and the sci-fi elements were cool slightly understated in some ways slightly overstated in other ways but i feel like it really made us have a discussion so i think that's good sci-fi right he thinks it's good sci-fi i think uh i think the two boys have said everything i could ever want to say about this movie i think this this movie hits close to home not for me as a parent but as i think for me as someone obviously i have no idea what that's like uh, but as someone who who grew up in that realm, um, this movie hit really hit the nail on the head of having two being raised by two miserable people and how that affects you. Because despite the fact that he still was a creepy, horrifying little alien boy, uh, you could tell that their behavior still affected him. He mimicked it. But that's one thing we didn't talk about is is the the idea that the child mimics the behavior of the parents, and it's done very. Uh, very, uh, I wouldn't say comically, but mockingly in this case, but in this, but it's done so, you know, it still has a point to him doing that. You know, he learns how he speaks, he learns what he does from them. Um, and most importantly, I think he learns his coldness from them. I, you know, it's funny, I, I think, I, I walk away sometimes and I'm from that movie and I think about it, I'm like, if they were kind to him, if they raised him well, would he have been as cold at the end? That's always kind of a question that's been sticking in my head for the last few weeks. But I think the the bigger point is that it doesn't matter because they shouldn't have been in that situation to begin with. Uh, so, in this case. Uh, but in the case of the real world, uh, well, we may never know. I guess it doesn't matter there either. Great sci-fi. Uh, really wonderful little surprise from Lorcan Finnegan. Lurkin, got our eyes on you. All eight of them. That does it for this week's episode of Sci-Fi Cross-Sections. Uh, next week, woof, woof. we are covering Barack Obama's favorite film of 2020. You heard it here first, folks. Bakarao, I believe is how it's pronounced. Barack Obama Rao. Now... Will I get flack for, for putting this movie on the schedule? It's possible. It's incredibly possible. Because I've read arguments that this movie is not, in fact, sci-fi at all. But this was on the list of 20, 2020 sci-fi movies you missed. So, is it sci-fi? Is it not sci-fi? I hear it's one of those stay tuned and find out at the end kind of things. But watch it. Uh, I have no idea where you can watch it, but I'm sure you could watch it somewhere. It is Barack's favorite movie of 2020, uh, so it's got to be somewhere, right? You can mm -hmm. probably go watch it at his house if you ask nicely. Totally. It's just... But I didn't say It's it. just Barack Obama on a starship going around the solar system solving crimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's like, it's like sorry to bother you. They said that was sci-fi, but I just kind of got halfway through and just gave up. Well, I got halfway through my brain shut off. Movie. <laughs> um, you can you can rent it on Amazon. Uh, just you know, it's not streaming anywhere, but you have to pay three bucks for it. But if it's Barack Obama, oh, it looks like it's streaming on Criterion Channel. If you're sub to that, like some kind of fucking snob. Um, but it's Barack Obama's favorite movie of 2020. You could you could pay the money. You can pay the three bucks to watch it. Just do it. Uh, we'll see how what it was, is. Uh... What was Donald Trump's favorite sci-fi movie of 2020? Voyagers. <laughs> that was 2021. Ah, shit. Damn. Uh, it was The Invisible Man, but only because he really liked the guy in the suit. 
<laughs> yeah. I was like, what? what you had a good point. You had a good point. That'd be your, that'd be a bummer. Psycho, Psycho Gorman was twenty twenty one too. Get the fuck out of here. Was it really? Yeah. What a long year. Oh. Yeah, I have no clue anymore, man. It was drawing a drawing a blank for the last two years of my life. These last two <laughs> years have probably, been like ten years. It was probably mm, yep. Sputnik, but he didn't actually read any of the subtitles. <laughs> It's like you watch Parasite, but with the, with the subtitles off. <laughs> I don't understand anything like, they're saying. What read, are they saying? I don't read. Tell me what it's about. This I is why I don't watch movies from China. China. <laughs> they're from Korea, sir. Ah, they're all the same. Uh, I'm, down, I'm being Donald Trump. I'm being Donald Trump. I'm being Donald Trump. I do not actually think that. Ben um, is so scared. Okay. He's so scared right now. So I thought Cross Sections does not condone the uh, opinions expressed here, therefore, by uh, Mr. Ben Young. After <laughs> Baccarat. Thanks. If you could see that the seatbelt sign has come out, so voice radio. After Baccarat, uh, we got nothing on the schedule, so I got to get to that. And uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a fall schedule. We got some things in October, but nothing else in September, so. I'll get it covered, um, and we'll figure out what's through the end of the year. It's going to be a good time. Well, it's great. If we do Spy Kids, we can go right into the series of the We Could Be Heroes universe, which is just a whole catalog of just things of... Uh, let me see here. Yeah, no, no, we should do that for sure. We, anyway. we have a no superheroes rule. <clears throat> well, then Spy Kids is like a superhero movie. Is it? Can we do no, Shark, Shark like Boy and Lava movie. Girl? Spy movie? But the kids... Shark Boy and Lava Girl is a superhero movie. I guess I guess the kids are spies. Yeah, that's true. Spies like us. Spies like us. Anyway, okay. Yeah, we'll get into it when we get to that episode, okay? And we'll, we'll tell you what we think about it. All <laughs> right. Okay. Um, Until next time. The Sci-Fi Boys were filmed in front of a live studio audience, sponsored by Mars Bar. Stay tuned for another episode of Three's Company, and then a solid hour of I Love Lucy up here on Channel Sci-Fi.